Heyo, I'm Katie. And it's your co-host, Corey. And this is, once again, the Press Next Podcast. Yes, welcome back to another week of the Press Next podcast. We are so excited that you are with us again. And if this is your first time, thank you so much for listening with us. Yes, indeed. Welcome back to everybody who has been listening. Uh, For those who are new, we are a podcast. We talk about movies, documentaries, and TV shows and how they relate to real life experiences. So this is what you're going to get out of this show. If you're watching, if you're listening Stay tuned. You do not have to watch the stuff that we watch to understand the stories that we tell. So big episode, at least I think so, because maybe it's near and dear to my heart. But we're going to talk about cool topics in this one, have a nice discussion. Uh, And we hope that you follow along and yell at us when you're driving in the car Mm -hmm. and talk back to us. You know, uh, we are not going to be there with you, but we will be there with you if you know what I mean. Uh, So please do that. You can also uh, support us outside of just listening by doing a couple of these things. One of them is following us on social media, man. Follow us, Press Next Podcast, pretty much everywhere. Uh, Twitter's Press Next Pod. If you want to join our Facebook group, um, it is the, damn, what is our uh, Facebook group? Press Next. Press Next Club. Yeah, yeah, Press Next mm-hmm. Club. Join that uh, group. We talk in there and chat in there all the time about random stuff, you know. Um, or we just yell out chants like my cousin does. <laughs> we have fun in there. You can also uh, donate us uh, money. We are self-funded podcast. If you want to donate some money, you can do so by uh, hitting our cash app, hitting our Venmo, press next podcast. Um, please, wherever you are listening, if you have access to Apple Podcasts, go ahead and drop a review. Uh, leave, a, leave a comment to let us know how much you love us and let the world know how much you love us so that we can continue to climb those charts, uh, spread our wings like the eagles that we are, uh, and have fun. So welcome back. Welcome in. We're going to get started. Make sure you do all of those things. You can pause the podcast right now and go do that and come back. You can listen while you uh, do that and come back. Have you had a good week, baby? Um, Yeah, so far it's been pretty good. It's been busy. It has um, been busy for you. It, it's slowed down in the sense of traveling, but it's been more busy in the sense of like admin work and then just things you know, adulting things that you got to get done. So I feel like you got to live that life. I feel like you and I have both been pretty busy just trying to get things done. Yeah. I mean, like literally from personally, professionally. Yeah. Yeah. Sun up to sundown. We just been going back and forth, just Mm -hmm. been working, which is great. But guess what we did y'all. And this is a testament to understanding. Okay. I say this all the time, even though I understand that Beyonce has help. So don't come in here with that. (laughs) But Beyonce got 24 hours in a day too. All right, bust your ass, we can bust our ass, and we can still do what we need to do. Because we watched a documentary, and all the time that we didn't have, we still watched a very cool documentary that actually Katie suggested, like, very good, tell me- (laughs) Very good. Very good, very good. Why did you suggest this documentary? What is it? And then, why did you suggest it? Yes, so this week we are discussing the documentary, the Netflix documentary, um, called Found. F-O-U-N-D. And so um, I was just scrolling through documentaries because I wanted something that we could discuss this week that wasn't going to be, 
like a full movie. We haven't done a documentary in a while. And yes. so um, I really enjoy documentaries. And so I wanted to do something. But I don't know if y'all know this. It's kind of hard to find documentaries that aren't like a docu-series these days. Right. I feel I'm like everything is like a whole series now. Um, but I came across this one. And I thought it was a super, super interesting concept of the documentary and um, just the... So basically, this documentary is about three Chinese babies who were adopted within like their first year to two years of life. And they were adopted by three separate um, American Family. families. Yeah. And so, um, well, maybe two, one, two one American families right? yeah. and then one is in Jerusalem. Yeah. So, um, they are, you know, completely spread out. One is in Oklahoma city, one's in Nashville and the other one is in Jerusalem and Jerusalem, <laughs> Jerusalem. <laughs> and they find each other by uh, taking a 23andMe test, and they find out that they are related, they're cousins, and they connect with each other. And they strike up this relationship, and then they do some, um, like, ancestral research. They get someone to mm. do research and find where they came from and uh, what kind of their story is, what their origin story is. And I thought that was super neat. Um to, to talk about the topic of adoption as well as just family, fam being, being yeah, family and the dynamics um, and 23 and me, I'm going to talk yeah. about ancestry because yeah. I did mine and it's wild, but it was, um, very good. It's, an, it's about an hour and 30 minutes and it's mm -hmm. a really quick hour and 30 minutes. Very good documentary. Um, hits very close to home and it was just, it was it was sad and sweet and powerful and mm -hmm. cool and vulnerable. And so it was everything you want in a documentary, you know, yeah. like when you're watching a documentary, I felt everything you want it. all of the emotions watching this. But yeah. the reason I chose it, one, was because of the time, two, because of the interesting topic, and three, because this month we have told you we're focusing on, like, family and things that remind us of fall. And so we wanted something on a family topic. And so... um Corey, if you don't know, is one of 12. Girl. 11. 11. One of 11. Sorry. Go. Do I even know you? No. Corey <laughs> is one of 11 children. Um, three of the children being biological and then eight being adopted. And so he has a lot of experience with adoption um, on the side of him being the biological child. And... Um, having adopted siblings so he can tell his side of that. Although, uh, you know, there's definitely another side of, of that coin, but we want 100%. to talk about, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about these girls and their experience in the documentary and mm -hmm. just kind of the connections that maybe you felt with it or, um, just things to think about, you know, even if you aren't, you know, adopted, or if you're thinking about adoption in the future or something like that, it is very, very interesting. But there was some weird parallels in this, were there not? Yeah, I mean, there were plenty of things that were um, very interesting and 
that really stuck out to me that I was like, I got to take notes for this because if I don't take notes, uh, I'm going to miss what my talking points are. And interesting, interest, I can't talk, interestingly, interestingly, okay, interestingly. enough, mm-hmm. I saw a TikTok the other day that was pretty much like, um, I don't want to say it was anti-adoption, but it sounded very anti-adoption and it was like... For for you know people that essentially they're saying like um, adoption should not be an option uh, or the focus for for those who can't have biological babies because in their mindset it's a you know you couldn't have what you actually wanted so you've settled for something else which to me doesn't make a lot of sense but she kept going and honestly it was a three minute TikTok and I stopped at like a minute and thirty so I don't know if I can have a full thought on that because maybe yeah. she had a, a better pivot to what she was trying to explain and I just got caught in a clickbait. Um, but here's what I will say. There's a couple of angles that I want to start with. Number one, mm-hmm. um, this is a good enough documentary that if you have time this Thanksgiving break and you want to just like watch something with your family, watch this. Yeah. Number two, I did my ancestry DNA and I have found so many family members from doing that. So really? like I, the interesting connection for me is that when they did theirs and they found out that they were cousins, and they're like, oh, this is crazy. Like, I never met you. And then they have mm-hmm. like, oh, this the, the origin story and everything else. I felt that because that's what happened to me with Ancestry. I was getting random people all the time like, yo, do you know? And to this day, I can probably pull up the app right now and um, and kind of tell you what some of my messages are. I can also tell you what it says I have in my, I got loyalty, got loyalty inside mm-hmm. my DNA. That's but what I got cool. in my DNA. I've actually, while you pull that up, I've actually never done it. Um I thought it would be interesting, but then at the same time, I thought that maybe it wouldn't be that interesting because I feel like I probably have like three things in me, right? So <laughs> you'd be but, um, you'd be surprised. But what's cool to me is that I have a lot of family members who are deep into ancestry and finding out where we came from, and so my dad has his interest has been piqued in it. And so, um, he, one time, do you remember this? I don't know if you remember this one time he was telling me every person who I do like went back in our history. So he was like, I'm your dad. And then my dad, and then his dad. And it was like naming off the people and Mm -hmm. their dates of birth and when they died. And then all the way back to, when we were in Europe. And so uh, basically all the way back to Germany. Is anybody surprised that I'm German? <laughs> Blonde hair, blue eyed, white woman. And mm. then... Um, I thought you came from the mountains of Caucasus. And then <laughs> I believe it was Switzerland. You look like a Switzerland girl. Mm, yeah. I think it was Switzerland. Mm. Um, yeah, Switzerland and Germany. I think that's where I come from. So, well, do this, and you'll see. You because I thought all this is what even got me, what piqued my interest. I'll tell you my story when it comes to ancestry and then how it relates to this documentary. Um, I've always been told I had a bunch of other things in my DNA, mm-hmm. and <laughs> there was one year I did this when there was like a Father's Day. Um, 
a deal, deal and it was like too good to pass up and i'm like i'm not a father but how First do they know you know what i mean why yeah, are they like, giving out dna tests for father's day i mean it's actually genius right like that's that if there's funny. gonna be a time for you to do a deal that's that's the time for you to do it like that's the market um and so i was thinking let me go ahead and take this deal because how do they know i'm a dad or not so i did and um you know they gave me my results and stuff and since then the first message I got was somebody said, I don't know what the difference is between fourth and fifth cousins, but we have almost identical beards. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. That was that was that's a message. Uh, another message I got was pretty much like, hey, do you know Albert, you know, Middleton, who um, you're named after? Like, yeah. So it's just it's it's crazy. And then we start talking like that. So that's that's a third cousin of mine. Um, we, and we met on there. I've never met her, but uh, we met on there. Um, I have more like stories about like hey uh, we dna matched and uh the profile of this person do you know this person and i always ask my parents like yeah this is who this person is mm-hmm. uh and then i saw somebody who i know all the time who's my cousin. so i said what up cuz she said hey cuz like it's just really weird that every once in a while i get a ping and somebody's asking me like hey do you know this person i'm like yeah that's like my great-grandfather or that's like my aunt you know what i mean like yeah and then we get connected that way and so it's 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 really cool, and I know how people feel about the whole DNA uh, batching stuff and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but at this point, I don't care. Like, right. Big Brother got all my information. I do not Anyways, care. Anyways, right. Yeah, um, and so seeing that be the catalyst for them to be connecting, and then them also, like, we want to connect to the motherland, because that was the other thing for me. And shout out to my boy, Devante, because I know this is a thing for him. He did his, and he found out he has huge ties to Nigeria. Nigeria. Now he is all about yeah. Nigeria. Yeah. Right? Which is cool, because I'm, like, very much so similar. Um, and that was cool for me. I'm like, I really want to know where my heritage is from and what it means for me culturally and customs and why I got certain things why i'm I'm accustomed to certain things in a certain way right um, even like certain features exactly so it's pretty cool to do um you know when they when they get it done right and everything else so to see that be a part of this documentary i think was was pretty fantastic what were you most surprised by with your in my numbers mm-hmm. um let me see I'll, I'll i'll go ahead and break it down this is a uh, live on the show you're getting my ethnicity estimate <laughs> okay so 39 percent nigeria okay y- you feel me 17 percent cameroon congo and western bantu people I-, I i messed with that heavy but i already knew a lot of this because my family i can my um on my mother's side and on my father's side we have uh historians and librarians who have tracked mm-hmm. back our slaves yeah our, our ancestors who were enslaved um so I, I've known that we uh, West African got to be in my blood. Isn't that cool how almost, I feel like almost every family has that one person. Uh, yeah, right? Well, like, I got two of them, thank God. Yeah, I have <laughs> I have one person who actually like looks up people and then goes to where they're buried and visits their headstones and all of that. Yeah, that's dope. And they're one like of, headstones from like 1900 or right. 1850, you know? And one of mine is, and we do that, and we have, and if you go to the Carolinas and stuff like that, there's streets that are named after our ancestors that we do petitions for and stuff like that. Um, And so specifically on the Black Nall Hawkins and Young side of the family, but Mm -hmm. um, even on the Middleton side as well. 
and we have we have all of those documents. And one of my cousins is actually a librarian and historian in Dallas. And so she's really heavy in it as well, helping us out with that. So 17% Cameroon, Congo, and Western Bantu. Um, 10% England and Northwestern Europe. And most people might think that that's like... White. Right. Or, and in Scotland and Ireland, right? Some of the first settlers in those areas were actually black Africans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, uh, Irish and Scottish people who are black. And or if you get into the history of this stuff, we're talking about people who either ran away or slaves that were taken by white folks and uh, were, you know, having relations with their slaves. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you kind of get somewhat of that heritage as well. Um, and then... 2% indigenous Americas. So I that's kind of a new one that's been popping up a little bit because at first it was less than 1%. So the more DNA they get, um, your numbers kind of change a little bit. Uh, 1% Norway, 1% Senegal. And uh, yeah, so I think the most surprise to me was like the England, Northwestern Europe or Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, so you I don't have feel like, no Asian at all? No, zero interesting and i also just don't feel and this might also be the same way of like why there's nothing against the uh asian culture i don't feel like i am connected yeah if there was one connected uh, or culture i feel less connected with is asian culture and i don't know if that has anything to do with it um or not but i just don't feel connected i mean i don't feel connected to a lot of cultures but hmm. When people are like, they want to go to Asian countries. I just don't have the, I would love to go. I think it would mm-hmm. be amazing as well. But like, I don't, I don't jump for like, I'm, I got to go here versus right. I want to go somewhere else. Right. Um, so again, this, this is, if you're an Asian listener, please do not take offense to that. I'm not saying that. I r- respect your culture. I don't want to disrespect your culture. All I'm saying is I don't have that in my blood. So thank you for pointing that out. But that was my biggest surprise. Interesting. What yeah, about you? <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll get mine done one day. I have always wanted to go to Germany, um, just because. Well, one, both my mom and my stepmom lived in Germany, so I've heard several stories right. about Germany. Um, but also because that's my motherland, and so I think it would be super cool to um, experience it. And I want to go during Christmas time. Yeah, I feel you, but also like I don't know if I want to be that cold. I mean, you know, people be talking about how they be got to cover up their eyeballs and stuff. Mm. So I don't be knowing, <laughs> but I mean, I think it'd be dope. I, and I go to, I'm always. I think one of the interesting things about just being like a Black American and then also being in an interracial relationship is, and we talk about this a lot when we're when we're trying to travel places. Um, Katie will do this, and this is amazing. Katie will be like, "Oh, I want to go there," and my first thought is like, "Am I welcome there?" Right. Like, will I feel safe there? And if I feel like I won't, like, it's, I'm like, eh, nah, yeah. Nah, yeah. I mean, that's a real thought. Take take a friend. <laughs> <laughs> take, take a friend. I, I stay here with the dogs. Take a friend. Um, yeah, so I, I'm not necessarily advocating for 23andMe or something else or even Ancestry. I'm just saying if you want to do it, then do it. I know that there is data out there that is combative to what... The data has been presented by these other companies. So, right. but twenty three and me, if you want to sponsor us, you just let us know. Yeah, them. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? We'll get some ads out there. Definitely. We, we, you know, we are for the coin. We believe in your work. Um, so, um, a challence for everybody listening. I know that twenty three and me was 
huge at one point. I'm not sure if it's still as big as it used to be, but I know any of those DNA testings were very, very popular there for a little bit. Um, So challenge for you. Let us know what you were most surprised by with your results if you have taken one of these uh, genealogy tests. Right. And if you thought you were something... And you weren't that. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like my family, they told us I was like super duper uh, Native American. Like that was going to be like 40% of my. <laughs> right. You know, so that like that surprised me. I'm like, dang, my parents, did somebody lied to my parents. Right. Uh, <laughs> not saying that I don't have any, but they were like, oh, no, you like African and Native American. That's it. Uh, and that I is mean, maybe at one time case. and then it just the percentage got lower and lower. Nah, that might be very much so true. So. You know, a long, long time ago, long ago. Um, so interesting with the documentary, I thought something that connects Katie and I both to this is that one of the uh, girls, Lily, she lives in Oklahoma City. Guess where she went to college, y'all? Goes. Goes to college. Oklahoma State University. It's true. And they show the campus. They show her getting her acceptance letter, which I deal with all the time working <laughs> yes. in admissions. Um, <laughs> so it's really cool to see that on TV, to see that this person that has this documentary about them goes to the school that I work at um, and received mail from the department that I work for. Right. So. And it's like, it just made it real, didn't it? You know, it's like, wow, these are real people. These you know are I mean? real people. Yeah. These are real people. And the cool thing about it is they highlighted these three people, but there's so many people who have been through what they went through. Yeah, is, exactly. These are three Asian women who are all, by the way, in white families. Yeah. Uh, that's top for another day. But they're all in these white families who grew up in very, um, like, white neighborhoods and talked about how they didn't have representation where they were at and how it was important to them, which is why they wanted to find their family members and go um, to Asia to be connected and even learn Mandarin and like speak Chinese. Right, you know what I mean? Right. So it, it was just an amazing connection and understanding that like adoption plays such a big role into people's lives for for positive purposes and negative. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be able to recognize that like, Where you grow up matters for a lot of different things. Right. For instance. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to point out that your mom actually worked for an adoption agency and helped these families. And she actually reached out to me one time and said, what are some questions you have about raising a black child? Because obviously Corey and I are going to have a black child. And um, what are some things that you wish you had more information on? Of Mm. course, hair is the biggest one, right? As a white mother, one day, hopefully, I will have a daughter whose hair is going to be much different than mine. And so I have to learn how to style, protect, um, and... I just have to learn everything about that. That way I can set my children up for success, right? And help them and and teach them. So um, she just asked me different things I wish I knew. And then she created this basically pamphlet that helps these families because she thinks, you know, that it's very important that if there is a white family uh, adopting a black child, they should have the tools necessary to be able to 
understand help, understand and help the this culture child. right right because there's there's a wonderful quote that denzel said and i know that some of y'all might listen to this and be like you're gonna have a mixed child the reason why i believe i'm going to have a black child even though my child will be of mixed race i'm talking about culturally mm-hmm. and understanding that like even though hair might be different and might look different, there's a culture to styling black hair. Mm-hmm. There's a culture around black hair, especially when it comes to black women. And so understanding that is different, right? It's not just, like Denzel said, it's not just the hair. It's it's the memories and the connection to the culture. You know what it smells like. You know what the hot comb smells like mm-hmm. burning through your hair when it's on a, uh, the, you know, on a, on a, the stove on a Sunday morning when you're about to go to church. That's culture. That ain't, you know what I'm saying? That's not just about, the hair. There are certain things that go along with that. When you're when you go to your hairstylist, even if you're going to a barber as a man that, or, or as a uh, as a boy, you're getting your hair styled, and you're in the barber shop. And there's things you learn there about being black that you won't learn anywhere else. Mm-hmm. There's things you learn about the culture that you won't learn about anything else. And so the way that this child will be presented to the world, people will see this child as black more so than they will see this child as white passing, right, or white. Um, so as much as the child will be mixed, it's going to be a black child just for clarification for anybody (laughs) who may need it. Um, and that's not easy for anybody. Um, you know, you're lucky enough to have somebody like me, but some of these people who are adopting, um, other races Mm -hmm. who have zero idea, you could be damaging that child. You could like when they grow older, not when they're too much so young, because I don't really understand. It's when... Like in the documentary, there's a moment where she starts crying. She said, I think it was like maybe like fourth or fifth grade when when she started actually recognizing like, I'm not like everybody. I'm different right. than everybody. Because when you're a kid, you really do not be thinking about race mm-hmm. at all. Like I don't even be thinking about boy and girl and different sexes and genders. Right. We just be like kids as kids. You know what I'm saying? And adults' breath stink and something, you know, whatever it is to be uh, be a kid. And then at some point you start to recognize m- my personal things make me different than other people. Mm-hmm. And that's tough to be of one race in one house and be different. You know, like you, the rest of your brothers and sisters are white and you're Asian. Right. Or you're black or you're or the opposite way around or something like that, you know? And in the documentary, I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be remembering this wrong, but I believe that there was a point where someone asked one of the girls, like, do you look like the rest of your family or something like that? And she was like, uh, my family is white, so no. (laughs) And then the girl asked, like, do you speak Chinese? And she was like, "Where, where are you from? She was like, I'm from America. No, no, no. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Germany. And she was like, do you speak German? Right. Just to kind of show, that's just a dumbass question. It's like, mm-hmm. like that people be asking, you know, like, um, but it's just, it's blaring and it's also in your face. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard to, um, to kind of grift through the culture growing up. And I'm not even adopted, but here's what I'll say. I grew up in a neighborhood and I understand what my parents were trying to do. My parents grew up poor. Uh, and in the country hood and in the, in the city hood. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They got out and they were like, we're not doing that. We're going to put our kids in a better situation. It's literally the J. Cole neighbor selling dope song. Mm-hmm. Okay, the neighbors think I'm selling dope. That song is about J. Cole saying like, oh, I'm living the, the dream. I got money now. I can move to the suburbs. 
and they're going to accept me for who I am. But he moves to the suburbs and then they call the cops on him because they think he's selling dope because he got nice cars and nice jewelry because he's black. You know what I'm saying? He got mm-hmm. a nice house because he's in their environment. So mm-hmm. what, what the hell he move out the hood for? Right. You know what I'm saying? It's the same thing. So my parents moved. We I grew up in Dalworthington Gardens, Texas. Okay, that you could just tell already. Uh, it's a nice spot. Like we're the only black family on the block. And while you're inside the confines of the house, there's no way you can deny that we are a black family. Everything in the house black. Katie, mm-hmm. you know this. Everything. From the top to the bottom, whatever you celebrate, if it's the Easter bunny, the Easter bunny gonna be black. It don't matter. <laughs> Everything that's in our house is black. You're never going to forget that. It's when we step out into the world when we're surrounded by other people. Right. You know what I mean? So it was it was hard just in my neighborhood to find people who look like me. So then, of course, we had to go to other neighborhoods to try to find people that look like you to understand the things that go on in your house and find that connectivity and things of that nature. So it's just not easy. Have you? Do you feel like maybe there's a parallel for you in your lifetime? Um, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> I don't okay. have an answer for you. That's okay. I um have a, we've talked about before in general about just being accepted into different groups, mm-hmm. you know, for like who we are. And you were always like a taller, thicker, curvier woman. And there was a time where like that was not to be applauded in white culture. Right. I think there's still like, you know. So I think it's very much so easy that you were more celebrated in black culture, um, you know, for you for you just being you than in your own culture. And I'm not saying these are the same parallels even at all. Right. My point is that there's opportunities for people to understand the layers of like, I don't fit in in one place, but I can in another. But how hard it is to be like, I, I'm a part of this culture. I don't fit in. Right. right? Like I'm still a human being. I don't fit in here. So you can only imagine how uh, those who are adopted in a system to families and cultures that are not congruent with theirs, how life sometimes turns out being for them in the long run. Right. Not up front, but long down the road. You want some uh, adoption stats? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so here we go. I'm about to run down some real quick. This network says um, adoption is all around us, even if we don't see it. Every day there are children being adopted into loving families all across the country. Uh, And that is very much so true. Um, So check this out. It's pretty interesting. International adoptions, as big as they, um, they seem, they're actually like a very small percentage of adoptions that happen in America. Really? Um, Yeah, they used to be like super high. Now they're like less than 10,000. Hmm. On a yearly basis. And they, and I think that it's because it has like a negative connotation. I'm going to be honest with you. You like, think so? Yeah. Well, at least from my perspective. What okay. I see all the time is that when like white people, white families like adopt these African babies and Asian babies and um, Hispanic babies internationally, members, at least in my community, we like, what the hell are they doing? Why do they think they got it? You know, like a, we immediately go to like the- Like a savior um, complex? Yes, the savior complex. Like there's plenty of babies here that look just like you who need your saving or need your adoption. Like, what are you doing? Right. And I'm not saying I necessarily feel like that, but I understand the sentiment. Okay. Um, so this question says, how many children are adopted each year? And it says around 140,000 children are adopted by American families each year. Wow. 140,000. Now, 
here's a caveat to that. You, there's a lot of people who are still waiting. Mm-hmm. There's still like 150,000 people, children who are waiting. Well, that's Even what though, I was going to say. I wonder if it is, I wonder, I don't want to say easier because I don't think it's easy at all, but I wonder if the process is a little bit more easy is a little bit easier for international children than it is for domestic children. That's a good question. Something that I probably have to look up. I, I don't know if I would, I could imagine that it would be. There's, I feel like there's so much more you have to clear because you're talking about two different agencies now. Whereas you're just talking about the United States. Now, if you're talking about international stuff, you got to clear a lot of things. Right. Um, so I, I would figure that it would probably be harder, but I don't know. I have no idea. So I probably have to, I would have to ask if, if you're listening and you know, please let us know. Um, I think another interesting stat is that over 60% of people who are adopted are placed with their adoptive families, uh, within a month of birth. And here's why I want to say that, because this is kind of what makes sense for these girls as well. The further along you are in the system, the less likely you are to get adopted. True. And I mean, even if you being like three, four, five years old, mm-hmm. you being so, adopted at birth versus you being adopted as a child or in an adolescent is night and day. You like you was going to ask a question. Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, share with us your experience with adoption. How old you were, um, why your parents chose to adopt um, how old your siblings were. Okay. Um, I was about four turning five and all I can remember is this. Cause you know, you're four years old. You don't actually remember. Right. And you were the stuff. youngest of the three biological. Yes. So my parents, uh, my father, Mickey and my mom, Karen, um, that's so funny. When people talk about Karen's, I'm like, that's my mom's name. <laughs> and, um, we were living in Arlington at this point, and um, I was just a breastfed child running wild at this point. You know, just, oh a, just a young kid. <laughs> Me and my two older, uh, two older brothers, shout out to my boy Jeremy. He was a, he's the middle child, and Matthew is the oldest. So Matt just turned 35. I'm 31. And so Jeremy's in the middle, so you can kind of get the age range. I was four at that time. So Matt had to be like close to 10 years old or, you know, like eight or, you know. Anyway. So, uh, there is, and my mom had already, I mean, my mom works a thousand jobs and she'd already been working in this area with, um, working with adoption agencies and stuff like that. Uh, she also was a pro officer, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but anyway, there's a program that actually still runs today it in does. the DFW. It's called Wednesday's Child. And, um, my mom, I guess they were watching this some night. Of course, I'm probably watching Teenage Mutant, Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they saw a story about a family of eight that was about to be split up into different homes. And I guess, um, you know, God spoke to my mom and put it on her heart uh, that they that, that they should adopt that entire family. So the conversation I remember is like, how would you like it if you got brothers, you know, and sisters? And of course, we're all like, yeah, we want, <laughs> you know, like more, more fun. More people more to play friends. with. Exactly. I'm four years old. You know what I mean? Like, okay, cool. I have no idea what the ramifications are of this, right? Like this is going right. to be my family member for the rest of my entire natural born life. Right. Um, and your and your dad comes from a pretty large family as well. 
Yeah, so he's he's used to this. Now, he has a, a large family, and they're all naturally born. So they're all right. like blood brothers and stuff like that. So he's used to the big family um, uh, dynamic. And so it that happened. They showed up in a limo one day. <laughs> this is what I remember. My first memory of all time is um, I had, I don't know, I'm trying to paint this picture for you all, but back in the day, there was this gaming system that was like a toy race car, and they had these two little guns. One was Mm -hmm. red, one was blue, and you had a track that was a figure eight track, and they were like wired into the track, so they kind of make little sparks and little sounds like and it was really, really cool, and I would just race them all the time. It was my toy, and I just remember the limo kind of pulling up and people filing out, and I'm like, I don't care. I'm just going to play with this toy. And my brother, my new brother, Charles, who called Chuck, you know, Chuck D, he came in and like bullied me out the way, like boom, and took over the game, started playing, and now I'm finna throw hands. A four-year-old me, you know, which is probably like just throwing a tantrum, but in my mind, I'm about to start swinging on this man. You're probably crying. Yeah, I've been a big toy. baby. Yeah, exactly. Throwing a little tantrum. And, um, you know, my mom came over and was like, this is like your new your new brother. Like, you need to share. And so I grabbed one. He grabbed the other. And I said to him, uh, do you want to be buddies? And he said, yeah. And then we started playing with the toys. Buddies. Not brothers, but buddies. Um, and so we were around the same age, uh, uh, Chuck and I. Chuck was born in 1990 as well. I was born in 1990. Uh, he was born in the early end. I was born in the latter. So we're... You know, we're kind of twin age, um, so we're around each other. So we, if you group us together, uh, my sister Kiki, who was born in 91, and Kevin was born in 92. So um, me, Chuck, Kiki, and Kevin were like the bottom like third, you know, or mm-hmm. the bottom range. Then you had, um, you know, the grouping of like Brandon, um, Jeremy, and Mimi. Um, they were like a group. And Brandon was somewhat of a grifter, though, because he can kind of go up to the next group. So the next group was um, Delenn, Matt, Robert, and Brenda. And, you know, every once in a while, Brandon was up there. But Brandon mm-hmm. was pretty much with, with Jeremy and Mimi. So if you, t- if you talk, if you break them down into thirds, that was like the thirds of our house. Uh, the top group was Robert, Brenda, Delenn, and Matt. They were all kind of in the same age range. Uh, Robert being the oldest, then Brenda being the second oldest, and then Matt and Delenn. And then... Um, Brandon, Jeremy, and Mimi being in one group, and then me, Chuck, Kevin, and Kiki being in one group. Um, and so that is the story of how we, you know, at least became one big happy family. And we were in a very small house. I think the house at the time was a um, one, two, three bed, two bath mm. house with 11 people. My parents changed their master bedroom. people. Yeah, changed their master bedroom so that the girls all sleep in that room. And then we split up the... The um, other two rooms, my grandma was also living there for a little bit too, um, so that you know all the boys can sleep. And my parents slept in the living room for years, while we bought while mm. we bought a new house and then renovated um, a garage to be their bedroom. Um, so shout out to them; they're the the greatest angels so selfless uh, God ever put on on earth. Uh, and it's great. I mean, it did not come with it came with a bunch of positives stuff that I would never give up. I think it also came with its issues, mm-hmm. um, and so. I don't want to say what I will never do, but I think in adoption, when you talk about nature versus nurture, nature is very strong. Right. Nature is very strong. From my perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, did you ever or have you ever... um 
heard your siblings talk about their biological family or wanting to get to know them or finding them? Or do they have a relationship with a biological family that you know of? Uh, yes. Yeah, so they're, they weren't like, we didn't take them because, you know, that they were like split at birth. They uh, had issues um, with their parents. One of their parents perished. The other one was not available. So mm. it's not like they didn't know right. their family members, you know, and, and even later on in life, they had um, brothers and sisters that kind of came out to woodworks who they were already mm-hmm. connected with, who they who came from like different fathers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was they they stay connected and understand that and they stayed connected within themselves. So you really have in my family two bloodlines. Um, well, probably even multiple bloodlines because I don't think all of them have the exact same father, but. I may be wrong on that one. And look at me, I'm 31 years old and I've been living with them for forever. To <laughs> my family, I may not even know that answer. Um, but it's just not, it's, it's, when I say nature is heavy, I'm not saying that in, in opposition of them because I think it is heavy for me as well. I just think mm-hmm. that when you talk about nature versus nurture, um, you know, some people have a very strong predisposition to certain things, right. whether that be addiction or trauma. Or, um, you know, certain diseases like high blood pressure and, and stuff like that. That's that's what I'm talking about. And I think that right. that can lead you down a certain way, especially when you're talking about your pull towards somebody else. Even, what I've always been... Go ahead. I was going to say, even like, um, you know, chemical imbalances in your brain that cause depression or things like that. Yes, are like 100%. genetically passed down. So there's 100%. just no way around that. Yeah. And then sometimes it's hard for me to believe in, in full vulnerability, full vulnerability. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that they're, that they can love my parents the way that I love them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I may be a hundred percent wrong. I'm not saying that they can't. I'm saying that's something that I struggle with growing up was like, you, my parents didn't birth you. How could you love them as much as I do? Mm-hmm. And if you don't love them as much as I do, do you do you deserve them? You know what I mean? Um, so there, it's just, there's a lot that happens when you adopt a child. Right. And I think sometimes people do not think about what that what that is. They just want a child or, you know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I, I don't want to seem like I'm anti-adoption because I'm right. not. I think it's, there's, you got to be a saint. Yeah. I mean, and that's a real feeling, but I think that I, I definitely think that you can unconditionally love someone, even though they're not biologically yours. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'm saying like when I'm younger, when I don't, yeah. Or not even that. I'm saying when I was younger, that's a battle that I had to struggle with because Mm -hmm. do you really understand what love actually means? When you're 12 years old, like I, you know what I'm saying? Like that, I'm right. thinking that's the thoughts that I'm having to myself. Right. Not that I'm saying I, that now, like I fully understand that now, but it's, it's the thoughts that you have when you're younger. Like if you say something, or I heard you say something about, you know, mom, some, some stuff that I would normally say. So let's just be candid right now. If mom pissed me off, I might go to my room. Like, you know, F that B or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I might say that, you know, like, Oh, I hate it here. And then, and it don't hit the same as when I heard one of them say it. I'm thinking like, yo, you talking about my mom. You know, this is me right. at 12 years old thinking that there's a separation when there really isn't. Right. 
So it's it's stuff like that that's tough. And I should have actually just brought one of them on this episode to talk about what their experience is, but uh, maybe that can be a kind of an insert and or you know we can talk to my parents about it as well. But life is just different, and I could not understand, and I, and I put it fully on on me. I couldn't fathom not having my parents and mm-hmm. being raised by somebody else. Right. Of course. So in this specific documentary, I found it very interesting that these girls were not even put up for adoption, right? They were just left. Yeah, they were just left they on the street. They were just left on the street, on a bench, on the side of a busy road. Um, because of the one-child policy in China. Yes. That was Let's talk crazy about that. to me. Yeah. Because it said it in the beginning of the film. They said, between 1979 and 2015, China enforced a law um, allowing only one child per family in an effort to you know, control population control. And over 150,000 children were given up over that time. Many of them overseas. 2015 is when that law ended. Six That's a long years time. ago. A very long time. For that to be open and that to be a law. And can you imagine just only having one child? What happens if you have twins? Oh, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about that. Or triplets. Oh or, you know what I'm saying? How do Which you one choose? do you keep? Right. So, I thought that that was super interesting and sad because, and I know that people could think, well, if you knew that you could only have one one child, why did you keep having children when you knew you were just going to get rid of them? You know, but I know. Well, yeah, go ahead. Let me let me say something else that I thought was interesting when the genealogical bio or researcher genealogy researcher went to go meet up with one of the girl's parents Mm -hmm. they one of the girl's moms she was talking to her about it and she was basically asking her about her experience with giving up the baby and she said that it was the hardest thing that she's ever done. Yes. She still thinks about her child. Like, how could yes. you not? It's your child. Um, and that they actually had a neighbor come take her in the middle of the night because they could not physically let her go. Like, they had a neighbor come in and take the child in the middle of the night. That way that they wouldn't have to, like, see it or, you know, fight it, anything like that. And the neighbor wouldn't tell the family where they took the child, if someone adopted it, um, adopted her, anything like that. Um, but the mom actually pulled out something that looked like a passport. And it was a booklet that served as a proof of birth control. So during this time, women had to be on birth control they had an iud and every three months they had to go in to make sure that the iud was performing or was right they called it checking your coils Mm -hmm. and that was beyond me that's wild that talk about um 
the freedoms that we that we have, yeah, that we have, and and you know, our biggest thing is talking about abortion and the woman's right to choose. And you know, can you imagine we continue to go down the road we're going down? It may look a lot like that, you know. So we're it's it's really sobering to think about the things that we are offered and we we that we take for granted every single day. Right. Other people do not have that chance. Right. And so these women were on birth control. It wasn't like they were purposely getting pregnant, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just not 100% no matter what you do. Even exactly. here in the United States, people with IUDs get pregnant. Hey, Very dangerous. Let's not put that in the air right now. Let's, well, not, let's not put that on the airway. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. And so... I don't know. I, it's really hard. And they, they interviewed one of the girl's biological older sisters, mm-hmm. which um, she talked about the guilt that she feels for being the oldest child. Right. And being able to, you know, that, that she didn't get adopted, you know? Right. Like she feels guilty because she was the first child and that her parents had to get rid of their other child, essentially. It's it's a lot to go around and it's so wild. And and we've talked about this before. Um, I'm glad you kind of brought it up, but we've talked about this before. Sometimes when we think about parents who gave up their child, who left them at a safe place or whatever, people can be so vile towards them. Right. How could you ever give up How your child? How could you give and, up your and, child? Exactly. And sometimes we struggle with that. If, you, if you've been abandoned as a child or you felt like you were abandoned as a child, we struggle with that. And we have to really come back to like, for some people, and I would even venture out to say most people who gave up their child, the thing that they they carried and they birthed, they literally thought the the only thing that is best for this child is, is, think about this. They had to say, I am not the best choice for this child. That's devastating. Mm-hmm. In order for you to have the best life that you can, you can't have me and mm-hmm. I can't have you. That is selfless, not selfish. Right. And it's and not an tough. easy decision. Yeah. No. No, it's not even close to easy. And you think that they're just going to do that and just be done and never have to think about you again? Right. Oh, no. That's going to no be way. with them for forever. Because you never right. know if you made the right decision. And you see that in the documentary. You know, you see that these people still think about these children all the time. Um, something else that was interesting, and I think that this kind of changed my outlook on adoption, um, especially like international adoptions, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what orphanages are like here in the United States, but over there, and they showed it in the documentary, that there was an orphanage, and each room had like 12 to 15 babies, beds just side to side. And there was only one person per room to look after these babies. And in one of the things that she was, that the researcher was saying is that, you know, she was talking to one of the girls and she was like, you were left here. This is where you were left, you know? And, the the mom, the adoptive mom, was like, is this a popular place for people to leave their babies? And she said, yeah, this is a very popular place, which is why people leave their babies here because they know that they will be found. They know that they will be picked up um, and taken to an orphanage. So 
For me, that just showed me how many children are in the orphanages and how many children need homes, you know? Yeah. Which is so. is, is is a wild thought, man. It's just like cuz you cuz you think to yourself like you know, how could this happen or why would mm-hmm. they do this? But not everybody's mm-hmm. in the same position. Right. There are people who do not have the means to provide for a child and they have a child and I know some people say like, "Oh, we shouldn't have a child." Yeah, but situations change. Right. And that also doesn't mean that they actually wanted to have the child. Something could have happened to them to where they were they were pregnant. They did not want to be pregnant, but they were pregnant and they're not aborting a child. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe even when they got pregnant, they was up and then 4 months into the pregnancy, they fell on hard times. Like you, mm-hmm. you, we just never know what the situation is. Right. We like to assume that like everybody's living like this and they just right. make the decision to not have this child, you know? Right. So something that I thought was interesting in this documentary was that you really got to hear from the girls' perspectives of what maybe they have thought their whole lives. And then the three of them, I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier, the three of them actually met in person and went to China together to see where they came from. You know, they're all related. And so to see where they came from. Some of them actually wanted to meet their biological families. Some of them, one of them did not. Um, And then even when the researcher told one girl, Hey, I found someone Mm -hmm. who I believe is your biological family. Do you want to see pictures of them? I believe Mm -hmm. that this person is your sister. And she was like, I don't know. I I don't know, maybe next time, you know? And it was tough, but interesting to watch the girls and hear from their perspectives of maybe not exactly understanding why they were put up for adoption. Um, And then when I was watching it and seeing them, stand in the place that they were left as a baby and the researchers say yeah you were left here in a cardboard box wrapped up in an adult jacket so you wouldn't be cold can you imagine how devastating that is like hearing that like to hear you were left right here on the side of this highway in a cardboard box as americans being raised as americans I'm sure that that made them feel unwanted, right? But mm-hmm. in the Chinese culture at that time, that wasn't as rare as it sounds because of that yeah, law. But, you know, I'm sure they didn't have the, you know, they didn't have the wherewithal for that because they didn't, you know what I'm saying? That's not right, in the you forefront of their mind because they grew yeah. up different. Yeah. And, and a lot of, and the girls were like, yeah, we just assumed we were put up because of the one child law, but we really don't know. We just, I just kind of assume that's why I was put up for adoption. Mm. So. This is just a, um, I swear we can talk on this all night long, but it's just really a good documentary that will, it's a, it's a tear jerk. It's going to take you for an emotional roller coaster because you really get to see like the raw emotions um, and you know what it is. It's not like they, the geneal- genealogical person um, found the, a, a match every time. It mm-hmm. was like. 
sometimes they met somebody and who they thought was like a family member and then they got the DNA back and they're like, actually, yeah. not a match. You know, so right. like you can you can imagine like trying to be um, like, you know, like, oh, are you my dad or you're my uncle? Like, oh, OK, cool. Nice to meet you. Boom, boom. And then like you figure out, actually, you're not my dad or mm-hmm. my uncle or whatever you may be. You're not my family member. Um, so even and, that, uh, shout out to them girls because it's very brave what they did uh, oh, and for them to have brave. the for them to have it all filmed and shown to the world, very brave. And it's such a vulnerable, vulnerable documentary. But they take, they have really good attitudes towards it. And they all three come from really great families. Like they have a really great, one of them's actually the girl from Oklahoma is raised by a single mom. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, but one of the things that I thought was funny is they have a sense of humor through it too, right? So it's not just a woe is me, I was put up for adoption. Um, one of the girls, they were looking at their baby pictures when they met up with the researcher. And one of the girls was like, gosh, no wonder I was put up for adoption. I'd put me up for adoption too if I looked like that. Yeah, you know, like in the back of the van? Yes. Yeah, that was, I was, that was funny. It's just, yeah, I mean, you kind of, you got to laugh through the pain, man. You really do. Uh, about certain situations and stuff because life comes at you real fast and things Mm -hmm. change real fast and even understanding and for them to be so young and that be a journey for them there's another documentary um that is for or maybe they're just twins that were separated Mm. um it is amazing i can't remember i was thinking that um and goodness gracious it is amazing and i wish you watched that too but Definitely take some time out to watch Found because it's very great. And I think you will start to look at things differently. And mm-hmm. if you have adopted somebody, if you are adopted, if you understand adoption, um, you know, hit us up. Please share some stuff with us. Make a make an IG story and tag us in it. We'll repost it. Um, and I really do hope that throughout this entire episode, um, you know, that y'all recognize that in me talking about adoption and stuff is really just from my perspective with my family. Um, not to say that like um, all adoptees are monolithic and live the same experience and things of that nature. Um, that is not what I'm saying. And uh, shout out to everybody who is a, a saint and angel who was adopting children and people um, and blessings to those who are in the system and looking for somebody to, you know, become their family member. I really do hope that they don't just age out and it's just them. Right. But they have some sort of support, so. Absolutely. <sighs> do you have any more questions, comments, concerns, uh, any church announcements, anything for the good of the order, as my old boss would say? I do not. Okay, well... We will see y'all next week then. Next week, we will have on some guests. <laughs> so it should be a good conversation, good fun, uh, because I know them very closely. And uh, I like to think they're funny. They like to joke a lot. So we'll see how it goes next week. But anyway, watch this movie. We love y'all. And you know how we end every single episode. Anytime we're watching TV and ask, are you still watching? Always. Press next. Press that thing. Bye, y'all. Bye. Switch the podcast.